Well, we have been working our way through the Gospel of Luke, and last week we saw really the end of the picture of Jesus as an infant. Luke spent a lot of time uh, in the birth narratives, and last week we saw uh, Jesus being held by, as an infant by Simeon, a man whom God had promised would not die until he saw with his own eyes uh, God's Messiah. And now we move into a different season of Jesus's life. In fact, this is the only text that we have of Jesus as a boy, a 12-year-old boy. And so our text this morning is Luke chapter 2, verses 39 through 52. Uh, if you need to use a Bible uh, that we provide because you don't have one with you, you can find one in the seats in front of you uh, underneath. And if you use that text, you'll find, or if you use that Bible, you'll find it on page 858. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 39. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Well, Luke has already essentially told us that Jesus was born into poverty. We already know that his mother and his earthly father come from a town of Nazareth, and he reminds us of that again. Nazareth really was a, a, a nothing town. It, it actually had a bad reputation, as we find out in the Gospel of John. And we know that, that really they were uh, quite poor because they couldn't afford uh, the lamb for the burnt offering. You may have recalled last week, uh, they brought with them the, the offering that was provided for the poor, for those who couldn't provide a lamb. And so Luke tells us that, that when they came back from, from everything we've already seen, uh, the, the, the birth in Bethlehem and the time in the temple with Simeon, when eventually they made their way back home, they settled back into the town of Nazareth, which is around the Sea of Galilee. 
And yet again, what we see, just like Luke has done over and over again, he has stressed the the steadfastness and the godliness of Mary and Joseph, that, that they are, have been steadfast and faithful to keep all the commandments of the Lord. Uh, we, we saw this last week, that, that they circumcised Jesus on the eighth day, that they followed the purification rites, that they presented Jesus for dedication, that, that they provided the sacrifice that was stipulated. And, and Luke says, when, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, then and only then did they return to the town of Nazareth. So we, we have this, this sense again that, that Mary and, and Joseph followed the law, that they served the Lord, and that they didn't really do so begrudgingly, but that they did so willingly and, and that they did so out of love for the Lord. We see this kind of thing in, in verse 41. It says in verse 41, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. All Jewish males were required to head down to Jerusalem for three feasts or three celebrations a year. One was the Passover, which is the one that that we we learn about in this passage. And, And the Passover was then followed by this feast of unleavened bread, which was a week long feast. And some people would go only for the Passover and, and kind of check their box and then head back home. Uh, some, I guess, just didn't go and just ignored it. Uh, but Mary and Joseph went every year. They were also, the, all the men were supposed to go to the Feast of Weeks, which we also know as Pentecost in Greek, and lastly, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, as sometimes you've heard it say. Now, Luke tells us that Joseph went every year, as was required. But the interesting thing here is that he also says that Mary went. It says his parents went every year to Jerusalem. Technically, Mary was not required to go. In fact, the Mishnah expressly exempted women from the obligation. They they didn't want women to even feel an obligation to go down, and yet we see that Every year, Mary and Joseph went together down to the Passover. So again, I, I don't think that these parents uh, that, uh, of Christ, these earthly parents, that they did any of these things begrudgingly or legalistically. I think they loved the Lord, which tells us that though Jesus was raised in, maybe we could call it a materially poor house, he was raised in a spiritually rich household. Of all the homes that Jesus could have been placed in by God, this one was perfect because it was a spiritually rich home. You can only imagine the amount of biblical and scriptural instruction that they lovingly gave their son as he was raised in their home. You can only imagine the kind of examples that they gave to him on a day-to-day basis as they lived out their faith in God. And as I thought about that, I thought about us, especially those of us who who have children. Uh, Would you define your home as a spiritually rich home? Would you say that, that Scripture and God and the love of God and the discussion of God and, and those things 
permeate and, and kind of soak in your home on a week-to-week basis? Or would you say that primarily your home is kind of saturated with and, and, and kind of defined by other things that may even be fine? Football, uh, soccer, school, getting good grades. It doesn't have to be bad things, but, but what dominates your home? Is there a sense in your home? Do your children have a sense that the Lord reigns not only on Sunday morning, but Monday through Saturday in your home? Luke tells us in verse 40 that the child grew and became strong that he was filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. And then we see in verse 52, these two verses, 40 and 52, they they bracket this event when he was 12. You can see that. Verse 52 says essentially the same thing as 40. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Again, these frame the account. And I think verse 40 essentially is telling us how Jesus grew and in, 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 in height and in strength and in wisdom from the, the event with Simeon when he was an infant to the time that he was 12 when they went to the Passover. And verse 52 is essentially, I think, defining for us that Jesus, when he came back from the Passover at age 12 until he started his earthly ministry at age 30, he again grew in stature and in wisdom and in favor with God and man. And when we look at these verses, he grew and became strong. He increased in wisdom and stature. He even increased in favor with God and man. When we we see this, we can see that in many respects, Jesus was just like any other human being. Jesus was 100% fully God, but he was also 100% fully human. We recited this in the Athanasian Creed earlier. The Trinity, the Creed says, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, from all eternity, none is greater or less than the other. All three persons are co-eternal and co-equal, and yet there are not three gods but one God. And so the Trinity is one in essence, three in person. The incarnation, however, the person of Jesus is, you could almost see it as the opposite of that in in a way. Jesus is one person with two natures. Athanasius says, as for the incarnation, we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God and man, God of the substance of the Father, begotten before the worlds, and man of the substance of his mother, born in the world. Perfect God and perfect man, equal to the Father as touching his Godhead, but inferior to the Father as touching his humanity. Jesus from conception was one person with two distinct natures. He had a human nature and a divine nature. And in all of human history, there's been only one. So it's difficult to speak with absolute precision about what all of this means. But I think as we read through the New Testament, we kind of see both of these things at different times. Jesus, in his human nature, says, I thirst. 
and is given something to drink. Obviously, God does not thirst. Jesus, in his divine nature, says, peace, be still, and the wind and waves obey him. Something that they don't do for a mere man. Jesus, in his divine nature, looks around and says, who touched me? Jesus, in his divine nature, says to Nathanael, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus, in his humanity, weeps at the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus, in his divinity, commands Lazarus to come out. Herman Bavink, I think he says it really well here. He says, every moment in Scripture, divine as well as human predicates are attributed to the same subject. Divine and human existence, omnipresence and geographical limitation, eternity and time, creative omnipotence and creaturely weakness. What else is this but the church's doctrine of the two natures united in one person? See, sometimes I think we read that Jesus increased in wisdom and we say, wait, hold on, wait a second, I thought he was God. Yes, he is. But as the creed says, he was perfect God and perfect man, equal to the Father touching his Godhead, but inferior to the Father as touching his humanity. So Jesus as a boy, in his divine nature, Jesus knew would infinitely better than his father Joseph knew would. Jesus knew wood as only the creator knew. He, he knew wood, all the facets of wood, all the molecules that make up wood. I mean, Joseph could study a million years and never know what Jesus knew about wood in his divine nature. But Jesus, as a child, had to be taught. His human nature knew, knew what humans know. <laughs> He had to be taught, he had to learn from his father how to measure the wood properly, how to cut the wood properly. Joseph would have instructed him. In his divine nature, Jesus knew scripture better than anyone. He authored it, didn't need anyone to teach him. As a child, in his human nature, his parents taught him the word of God. Now, there's a lot more that can be said about the incarnation. I don't have time, obviously, uh, to talk about it. There are plenty of books that you can read about it. But we see that Mary and Joseph, they go to Jerusalem every year for Passover, but the day finally came that Jesus went as well. Now, why did they take him that year? Well, it's because when Jewish boys turn 13, they are made a son of the commandment. They celebrate their bar mitzvah. When that happened, they became a full member of the local synagogue, and then the responsibilities implied in their circumcision would then apply to them and their lives. But it was custom, scholars say, that Jewish parents would take their 12-year-old boys to Passover the year before their 13th year, so that their son could see what went on there, could get a feel for what happened at the temple. And that's what it seems, obviously, they were doing. Now Luke tells us that when the feast ended, as Joseph and Mary were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem and they didn't know it. You say, well, wait, how in the world is that possible? 
how, how do three people go down, one of whom is kind of the star of the show because you're bringing him for the first time, and then when you leave and go back, you forget him and leave him behind? Well, for one, let me just say that if you have kids, you've probably done this. <laughs> I, I, and if you haven't, you probably will at some point. Uh, Michelle and I, I think it was Isaac, we left here one day. Uh, we had driven separately. We both went home. I think we, we took every child but one. And then we realized when we got home, wait, we're missing someone. And it was, I, I think it was Isaac. I don't remember. The worst, the one that made me question whether I should even be a parent is I think, I think it was James. I don't recall. See, even this is bad. I don't even remember who this was. But I think it was James. He was an infant in a carrier. And Michelle and I went shopping somewhere. And when we came out to the, to the van, we loaded all the rest of the kids in the van. We put all the groceries in the van. And to do all that, we had to set our new infant in the carrier on the ground of the parking lot. And then we got in the van and started to drive off. And if it hadn't been for a lady that frantically ran over and beat on the window and said, is that your baby? It's still in the parking lot? And we said, oh, yes, it is. Thank you for, oh my gosh, that was horrible. I still, I, I, I've had nightmares about that one since then. That was so bad. So given that they were simply parents, I guess they could have forgotten them. Okay, but there are two facts that made this abandonment even more understandable. For one, people then would travel in large caravans, very large caravans with, with lots of family and acquaintances and friends from the area they would go down in order to protect themselves from highway robbery, from bandits. They would go on these caravans. And scholars believe, some of them, not all of them agree on this, but scholars believe that the way they would travel in this caravan is that the women and the children would travel in the front of the caravan and the men would travel in the back. Now, Jesus was 12. He was like on the cusp. And so some scholars think that Mary was up front with the women and the little kids, assuming that Jesus, being 12 and almost a man, was back there with the men. Joseph knowing Jesus wasn't yet 13, assumed that Jesus was in front with Mary. We don't know. We don't know what was going on. But what we're told is that supposing him to be in the group, they go a day's journey. Now, can you imagine how that must have felt? 25 miles, roughly, is what they would have traveled. A day's journey. I can't imagine the panic that would have set in. We just this past November, lost Eva for about, I know this, you're, you're probably never going <laughs> to, like, uh, Jeff's over here. After this sermon, you're going to withdraw your membership. Uh, no, we, we, were, we were at Cherry Crest Farms, uh, which is like in the Lancaster area. It was dark, and we watched this final pumpkin drop, and then, uh, and then we were headed, we were going to head home, and it was pitch black, and Next thing I know, there's no Eva with us. And we're asking around, wait, who had her? Uh, I was holding her hand, but then she kind of let go. And, and so, and I think she was gone, and we didn't know where she was for probably two minutes at most. It wasn't long. But that short span of time, seeing this vast 
sea of people and not knowing where she was in the dark, I started freaking out. You can imagine leaving your son for a day, and you're a day away. I mean, there's, there's no texting. In order to even begin looking for him, you have to travel a day's journey back, which then makes two days that he's been without you. Now, it says here, Luke says, it took them three days of searching before they found him. Now, we're not, it's a little ambiguous. We don't know whether it was a day back, a day out, a day back, and then three days in the city searching, which would then make it five days before they found him, or a day's journey there, a day back, and a day searching, which would make the total three days. I happen to favor the latter, but we don't know. But I can imagine what they envisioned they would find. I mean, if, if your 12-year-old son is without you in a city by himself for three days minimum before you find him, what, what do you think you're going to find? I mean, I would think at worst, probably, most naturally, you'd, you'd find a, a panicked, scared, tear-streaked, 12-year-old running to your arms because he's not alone any longer. Maybe if he's not like that, I mean, maybe you find him playing with the other 12-year-old boys, you know, maybe checking out the shops or something. What do they find? Luke says they find him in the temple, sitting among the PhDs of the day, discussing the Old Testament listening to them and asking them questions. And as Joseph and Mary see this, they see that all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and at his answers. This is the only time in Jesus' life that the Gospels ever speak of him as taking instruction from the Jewish teachers. From now on, it's going to be basically debate time with these guys. But the way that this instruction would go is that the student would ask questions, the teacher would answer the questions, and then after the teacher gave an elaborate answer, he would then ask the student a follow-up question to see how well the student had grasped the material, and then the student would give his answer. And that's what we see Luke describing, that, that exact kind of way of teaching. And what he says is that everyone, all of these PhDs, these men who had studied Scripture their entire lives, who were known as being the greatest students and teachers of the law and of God's Word, are blown away by this 12-year-old's grasp of Scripture. Now look, Jesus was fully human. Jesus in his humanity, had to be taught the things of God. But think about what kind of human he was. Jesus, among all human beings that have ever been born, was born solely of the Spirit. Jesus, from the moment he was conceived, from the moment he took his first breath until the day that he cried out, it is finished on the cross, he obeyed and followed and served his father perfectly every second of his life. That's why at his baptism, after he comes up 
out of the water, a voice from heaven comes out saying, you are my beloved son and in you I am well pleased. For 30 years of his life, Jesus had never once done anything against the law or against his father. And what was God's law? Well, Jesus summed it up by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. That was the law. I've never done that for one second in my life. I don't know about you. I have never applied my mind in all of its ability, 100% to loving and studying and knowing God the Father, ever. I often, even when I'm trying to study, being distracted by a million things. Jesus always did that. Can you imagine a 12-year-old boy who perfectly and fully loved God with all of his mind for 12 years of his life? What would he know? What would he be able to express about the word of God? That's why he was blowing these men away. It utterly astounded the scholars, and in verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. Now, this is a slightly different verb than used by the scholars who were astonished. This one, it, they're probably astonished by what he's saying as well, but, but, but this encapsulates more. It, it, it means something like they were overwhelmed. And I think you see this in, in what Mary says, right? Mary's exclamation isn't, son, I didn't know you were that smart. I didn't know, I knew you knew the word, but not this much. So it doesn't, I don't think they're as astonished by what he's saying as they are overwhelmed by what they just went through. And seeing what he's been doing for the three days. Uh, you know, you ever, I mean, it's like sometimes you, you think that your kids are going to need you a lot more than they do, and you're kind of disappointed when they don't. I think, you know, it's like you come back and it, he's, he's fine. He's, he's in here having a good time discussing, and they've been fretting for three days, worried sick. See, when they began the search, they probably figured that they left him. Right? What, what parent's going to think otherwise? I mean, oh my gosh, we abandoned our son. We have to go find him. But when they found him, sitting there calm, not panicked, not tear-streaked, enjoying a great discussion with these guys, I think it dawned on them that he stayed on purpose. I mean, this has to be why Mary asked, son, why have you treated us so? Otherwise, her question makes no sense. What parent accidentally abandoning a 12-year-old when, when the parent finally goes back and finds him says, why did you do this to me? That doesn't make any sense. But notice how she speaks to him. Notice that I think even the way she speaks to him now, it shows that Jesus has not yet started his miraculous ministry. Jesus has basically been a loving, faithful, kind little boy. That's what they have known him. He doesn't, Scripture tells us, he didn't look a certain way. Nobody looked at him and saw Hercules, right? He looked like a normal person. And I think that Jesus wasn't doing, his first miracle was changing the water into wine. 
I'm not even sure Mary knew that he would do that. I just thought she, you know, he would take care of it somehow. This was a problem and he was the man of the house. See, she doesn't look at Jesus and, and, and kind of meekly go up to him and say, um, G- Jesus, Lord, sir, I, I know this probably isn't my place. I, I know you're my Lord, but maybe you could have told me that you were going to stay here. I, I hope I'm not out of line. No, she doesn't talk to him that way. She talks like a mother to a son, to a little boy. What? Jesus, what, what are you doing? Don't you know that your father and I have been distressed over you? How could you have done this? That's how she addresses him. And this interaction sets up the first words that Jesus ever speaks in, in Luke's gospel. Up till this point, Jesus hasn't said anything. And Jesus asks a question. Why were you looking for me? What does he mean by that? Because I can't imagine that Jesus means you shouldn't have been searching for me at all. You should have just kept going to Nazareth. Jesus knows that it's a parent's job, if they're decent parents, to look for their child. No, no, he's not saying, why were you looking for me? What he's saying is, why did it take you so long to land here? You said you were looking for a whole day. Where else did you go? Didn't you know that I have to be in my father's house? Where did they go? I mean, if they searched for three days, it's especially bad. Where were they? The shops? That, that, that era's arcades? Like, where did they think they were going to find him? Jesus wasn't questioning their searching their their desire to search it was it was where they were looking jesus says why didn't you immediately come here i haven't left this is such an important statement for a couple of reasons the first is that jesus with his very first recorded words is saying about himself what up until this point only others had said about him. See, if you just go through Luke's gospel, you see that Gabriel said that he would be the son of the Most High. Elizabeth said that he was my Lord. Zechariah said that Mary's son was the Most High. The angels said that Mary's son was Christ the Lord. But Jesus hasn't said anything about himself. And the first words that he utters are essentially the same thing. I am the Lord. Now how? How do these words translate to that? Well, think about it. Think if you're one of these scholars sitting there talking to him and his mother and father come up to him. You're you're finally realizing for the first time, oh my gosh, this kid's parents haven't even been around since we've been talking to him. His mother and his father come walking up to him. And, and all these guys see your mother say, son, your father and I, right here with me, your father and I have been looking for you. We've been searching for you because we want to take you home with us to your father's house. Now that's what they hear. Now, if... 
if Jesus had, had simply walked up to them and said, okay, mom and dad, I'm sorry, let's go home, all Jesus would have been at that point would have been a very precocious little boy, a, a boy that understood Scripture better than most. But that's not what he said. In, in front of all of them, they're watching this exchange, and Jesus says to these two people who are claiming to be his mother and father, but don't you know that I have to be in my father's house? That's a monumental statement, because in those days, no one spoke that way about God. No one. Even the best scholars, the, the greatest of the Bible teachers would would say something like this, our Father in heaven, they would qualify it. They would speak of our Father, the one who's in heaven. But they never spoke of God as my Father, unqualified. And yet, this is the only way Jesus ever spoke of him. Later on, as a grown man, he would return to Jerusalem, heal a man on the Sabbath, in front of these Jewish PhDs, and he would say, my father is working until now, and I am working. And John tells us that this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. They knew what that meant. Now, whether they believed it from the words of this 12-year-old or not, he was making a statement. No one ever said of God, my father, until this 12-year-old boy came along and did just that. And Scripture tells us Mary and Joseph did not understand what he said. You know, it would take a long time, I think, for Mary to really comprehend what Jesus was all about. It would take a long time, I think, for her to realize that when she bore the Messiah, his allegiance to his father would be greater even than his allegiance to her, as much as he loved her. Matthew chapter 12, it says, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You know, when we come to faith, Christian, when we are united to Christ as Savior and Lord, He becomes the ultimate priority in our life. He says that. He says, if, if you're going to be my disciple, you must bear your cross and come after me. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? When we come to faith in Christ, he becomes more to us than any human we know. More to us than our children, more to us than our spouse, more to us than our parents. Did that mean that Jesus from then on was horrible to his parents? No. He was just as loving to them then after he made this proclamation that he was before. He didn't change anything. In fact, verse 51 says, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. 
So much so that her mother treasured all of this. You see, if you love God the way that you ought, you will love others the way that you should. It's when we put God in another spot or dismiss him altogether and put someone else as an idol in our lives that we actually start mistreating people. Even after revealing to everyone that he knew who he was, Jesus was still submissive to his earthly mother and father. Why? Because he had to perfectly fulfill the law. And the law says, honor your mother and your father. Children of Meadowcroft, if the only one who was ever God and man, if the only one who ever did not sin, who when he and his parents got into a discussion about the Bible was always right, if he, to honor God, submitted to his mother and father and honored them, what does that say about you? I think we live in a culture now where, you know, when I was, when I was a, a boy and I would read the Ten Commandments and I would see honor your mother and your father, I would think, why is that one of the top ten? What, that doesn't seem like it belongs in here. But as I look around society now, I see how important it is. As I see people with no honor in their lives for those who are in uh, a, a position of authority above them. Well, in conclusion, Luke begins in the manger, but John's gospel that we heard from earlier begins before creation. John tells us that the eternal son who was the word from all eternity took on flesh and dwelt among us. You see, in coming to earth, the son, Jesus, came on a mission. He came to fulfill a covenant that he had made from all eternity with his father, the covenant of redemption, to save those that had been chosen from all eternity. And when Jesus the man returned to the temple 21 years later, he came not to learn about the scriptures but to fulfill them. When he came that day, he said, to the 12, see, we are going to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For the Son of Man will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will, he will be mocked and shamefully beaten and spit upon and after flogging him, they will kill him and on the third day, he will rise. But his disciples did not understand these things. Just like Mary. You know, I sometimes wonder what those texts were that those PhDs were discussing with Jesus. <clears throat> you ever think about that? Were they talking about Abraham sacrificing his only begotten son, Isaac? Were they talking about Psalm 22 that begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Were they discussing Isaiah 53 that talks about the suffering servant? paying the price for his people's sins? Were they talking about Daniel chapter 7 and the Ancient of Days giving a kingdom to the Son of Man? Maybe they were discussing the Passover. 
it doesn't really matter because whatever they were discussing that day was about that 12-year-old boy. And as he sat there discussing those scriptures, I wonder if that thought ever crossed his mind. As he entered the city that day and saw all of those Passover lambs being slaughtered, I wonder if the thought crossed his mind that that will be me one day. You see, the first time he went to his father's house, he saw the Passover lamb, but 21 years later when he went to his father's house for the last time, he became the Passover lamb. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for this day. So thankful for this time of worship. We're so thankful for your word, for all that you have taught us. We're thankful for this passage. We're thankful that we know from it that Jesus was not confused about who he was, but that he knew, even as young as 12, what he had come to do and who he was. And Father, we pray that as we leave here, you would increase our faith, that we may know these things as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.